discuss which pop culture is worthy of your downtime. I'm Sarah. And I'm Joanna. And a little bit of a, a hiatus for us, but now we're back. Mm-hmm. And we are here. We're going to talk about The Girl on the Train, some fall TV stuff. Divorce, of course, premiered this week. And get into what's going to happen now, like the fallout of the Brad and Angelina divorce. Exactly. Who will inherit the world? Who will inherit the world? We mean like the film world. We mean the kids to a degree. It's just interesting that there's tons of details coming out and coming out and coming out. And especially like with the vivid reminder of what, how, and how dirty the Amber Heard divorce got. This yep. is still getting the cover of people and all that stuff, but it seems to be all very civil. Yeah, it's more civil than I thought mm-hmm. it would be, for sure. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. But there seems to be, like, an understanding of what's at stake. Like, how much they're worth and how much they are worth to Hollywood, which is kind of interesting. So that's what, that, that's what I like. It's a a, very A-list divor- divorce, or very A-list split so far. Yeah, these people get that they're super rich mm-hmm. and have a lot to lose, and that they're influential. And that we don't really want to see them squabble, like... I guess we do, because it's like a car crash, you can't look away, but that's not good for their images, right? Like, we don't want our celebrities, like our movie stars, to be petty people who, like, divorce the way everyone else does in a normal fashion. Unless it's, like, a very glamorous story, you know, with cheating and whatever, but when there's kids at stake, it's a, t- it's a lot harder to process. Too depressing. Yeah, exactly. So people kind of want to just make sure that everyone's happy and okay, and I feel like it's much to take them at a certain face value, I guess, so to speak. It does resonate. It's too, it's just too sad to be a good story. Yeah, yeah. Because there's six children. Yeah. A lot of children. It's a lot of kids, but these are all choices. Anyway, speaking of kids, kind of a weird theme in The Girl on the Train. I mean, it's in the book, too. But, mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, so what did you think of the movie? So, okay, I saw it with somebody who had not read the book, and mm-hmm. she loved it. And then I did read the book, and I was, like, meh, kind of lukewarm about it. What about you? I had the exact same review. So I was using Fen over the weekend, and I saw it on a midnight showing on the Thursday. And interesting movie to see at midnight, but I figured I was going to wait for a couple days. Like, that was the time to go. And, of course, I wanted to see it for Zeitgeist immediately, which is how I operate. You know, my friend was like, how was it? How was it? He, he, didn't, he hasn't read the book either. And I said, you know, there's a really big twist in the book. And I thought the movie made it way too obvious. And, yeah. and whereas, like we talked about last week, I didn't love the first, like, two-thirds of the book because I found it to be extremely repetitive. Mm-hmm. It, it wore you down, kind of like how Rachel's worn down because she you knows she's an alcoholic, like, living this, like... Mm-hmm life where she's in hiding basically is she's maintaining a routine and it's all for appearances but everyone knows she can't keep it together and so I felt like the book kind of put you in that same kind of trance because it was so repetitive and because it was so whatever and then by the time that the ending finally happens you're like oh shit like that's really phenomenal or like that like what a moment you know and I thought like what like in the in the movie it wasn't that they got there too quickly that wasn't it at all but I just felt like there were like a couple scenes missing not necessarily that were from the book but that could have made it more suspenseful. Like in Gone Girl, for instance, there's a huge twist, like halfway into the movie, right? Well, there's multiple, oh, yeah. multiple twists in Gone Girl. But even like having read Gone Girl, then seen Gone Girl, I was like, oh my god, this movie like is blowing me away. And I never felt that The Girl on the Train was in the, the similar hands. So when I was talking yeah. to my friend about it, I was like, you know, like listen, like I was a bit let down by it. Like It was a bit of a meh for me, kind of like you said. But 
I don't know how somebody who hasn't read the book would react. So like I, I feel like the well, ending is still effective. It's just the ending is still good. It could it could have been more effective. So I didn't understand how my friend was following it because I actually felt that it wasn't you know they hint at a lot of things but they don't have time to develop them mm-hmm. right like this sort of the in vitro thing which in the book is a lot more protracted like she wants to do more and he claims they can't afford it yeah um, but then he, he goes to Vegas exactly and she's like couldn't leave you that money for more in vitro so there's a lot more evidence that he's a bad guy um, and there's they do more with the gaslighting in the book And then they have her relationship with her mother, Mm -hmm. and there's more with her relationship with her roommate and how, like, she really has just made her roommate's life hell. So... I liked that. I thought Laura Prepon was, like, really well cast, actually. She was well cast. Yeah, she was. It would have been nice to have her do more, like she did in the book. Yes, exactly, and be a more major character. Mm -hmm. I also thought that they didn't make... Well, I've said this before in the pod, that they didn't make Rachel look pathetic enough. Yeah. Uh, that she just, you know, I thought she looked pretty good. I thought, you know, she just looked like drunk Emily Blunt, but still, like, you know, looked like a an attractive, put-together woman. My friend disagreed. My friend was like, no, she looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, I don't know, I guess it depends. I thought she still, you know, looked pretty hot. I thought she still looked pretty hot, too, except there were a couple scenes where I was like, oh, man, they really went to town on the drunk makeup, you know? Like, there were a couple scenes where, like, um, I guess, because from her perspective, so you think that she still looks, like, okay, and then you see somebody else looking at her, like, Oscar from The Affair, which is kind of interesting, but they never developed that at all. Yeah, I don't know. It, so there were a couple times where she actually looked kind of pretty ghastly, in my opinion, but yeah. they were too few and far between from the Rachel that we've come to know and... And her outfits were too good. Like, her outfits were... They weren't amazing, but they were, like, totally fine for, like, a relatively put-together person. They were too flattering was my problem. Exactly. Like, they were a little too tailored. Mm Mm-hmm. When they were supposed to be more, like, she's supposed to have given up, right? Like, it was, I found it very hard to tell which Emily Blunt was in flashbacks, except for the bangs. Yeah, they needed the bangs. Uh, yeah, that was funny because it was like, this is such an obvious contrivance because you haven't made her really look different enough. Yeah. Like, you're not willing to cast Emily Blunt and not let her be hot for most of the movie, so you have to give, like, you have to have bangs. Yeah, that's, that. listen, you know what? When I have bangs in my photos, people are like, oh yeah, she went back in time. Like, that's like, that's like how that works. <laughs> we all know that circa 2009, everyone was trying to look like Zoe Deschanel. It's true. Yeah. It was a real different time. So different. Everyone wanted bangs, and we realized that they are flattering on no one unless you have a really high forehead. Or unless you have very, like, a certain kind of textured hair. Yeah, that too. Which, I don't know. But there was a really funny article in Vulture. I don't know if you read it, about all the accents in The Girl on the Train. Because oh, Rebe- no, I haven't read that, but that does sound up my alley. Yes, well, of course. But it's all about how, like, you know, Edgar Ramirez is... Like, he's supposed to be Slavic, or not Slavic, because he's kind of, they actually, rep, you know, spell it out that in the book, his character, the therapist, Dr. Abdick, is kind of, in a xenophobic way, like, not white, Yeah, is how they describe him. So, yeah. they, ch- you know, they cast, you know, Edgar Ramirez, whose primary language is Spanish, I believe, and he spoke with a Spanish accent, and he actually spoke Spanish in the movie, which is fine. Yeah. So then, so there's that in the accent category, and then it's like Rebecca Ferguson, who's a Swede, you know. Yeah. So there, I I couldn't 
tell if they were, like, just letting her be Swedish and not talking about it and just letting you assume that or if she was supposed to be attempting a flat American accent. Yeah, that's what, that's what they said in the article. And they were like, you know, it's kind of like Alicia Vikander and Bourne. The accent's, like, not quite right, but it's also not quite not American. But it's just enough to sound different. Exactly. And it's enough that, like, if they could have just said, you know a Swedish-born realtor, I would have been like, that's enough. Okay, I get it. People immigrate. That's not weird. Or like... So often for me, it comes down to that thank you for smoking line for Rob Lowe. You know? Yeah. He's like, how, how can people smoke cigarettes in space? space? And he's like, oh, that's easy. Just one line of dialogue. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, honestly, that's really all it takes. Sometimes not even one line. Like what you said, Swedish-born or like Swedish realtor. Like that's like two words. Like it's e- it's so easy. It's so, and I even know where they could have put it in because you know the scene where Rachel's drunkenly talking to that random woman at the bar. You know he left me for a Century Twenty One agent. Yeah. He left me for a Swedish Century Twenty One agent. Sounds even worse. Like, it does that's sound even worse. Like your nightmare. Like it's like oh my god because that's she's just, exotic. She's exotic and t- probably tall and blonde, right? Like I feel like that would have wouldn't have been clunky at all. Right. Especially since, like, we're, we're, like, all very accepting of the fact that she's British. Yes, and that is never explained. It's never explained when she came over or how she would have met Laura Prepon, given that, you know, she clearly lived in Britain until she was fairly old because her accent's really strong. Like, you know, I guess they met in undergrad, but why did she come to Britain for undergrad? Is this, like, a, what's that one about the two British people who meet, like, the British girl who meets the guy on exchange? It'll come to you. It's about the teenagers who meet and they like text a lot and have sex and then because of visa restrictions oh like crazy i love like crazy like crazy like crazy yeah maybe it's a crazy situation where this is like like crazy 10 years later where (laughs) everything's shit and it's like we shouldn't have been together and now i'm gonna cheat on you and become a murderer yep that's how that how it goes but i feel like they could have made New York more of a character. Like maybe she was British and she just like wanted to live in New York her whole life, so she came to school to go to go to school here and then ended up staying. Maybe that's part of the reason why she's so upset cuz she felt she needed to be like a modern woman in New York, she needed a kid. Like I don't know, it was very confusing. Yeah, no, I I agree with you on that one that maybe they could have done something like she came to NYU to do her masters and something or like and that's how she met her husband. I don't know. Like they're just I felt like it was too weird that she was just in New York, and they never explain why she's British, and they don't really explain anyone's accent. You're right. Like, what? Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of filling in the blanks. And it, it's interesting that, like, your friend who didn't see, who didn't read it still loved it because of how they filled in the blanks personally. Who knows if it was accurate to the book or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then that, that we are kind of disappointed. Yeah. So it's one of those, I guess it's one of those movies where if you have read the book you know there's more to it and you don't like it but if you haven't i guess you don't realize how ambitious the book is and you're just like like it for what it is as a movie yeah for sure yeah and i I mean i guess i get that like i kind of reacted to like it was a six out of ten like yes that's me too yeah it was entertaining it was more entertaining than not going to the movies and then my friend was kind of reacting to it like an eight out of ten and i'm not saying she's wrong i just think we had different experiences based on our relationship to the book i.e. she had none and I had one. <laughs> That's funny. Relating back to Vulture again, so David Edelstein in his review, like their film critic, he literally leads with two young women leaving the theater and being like, wow, that was really great. And he he spends the whole review being like, what planet are they on? Like, I thought it was just like bad good or good. Like, it was fine. Like, it wasn't really great. So it's kind of like a similar thing, which I thought was kind of interesting. 
but anyway. No, it's and it's not iconic like Gone Girl, where like Rosamund Pike really inhabited that role and committed all the way. And I'm not sure Emily Blunt commits to like the drunk, depressing stuff, even though she doesn't look bad. She still looks good, but she commits to it in terms of acting. But at the end, when Rachel kind of becomes fierce and becomes like this vigilante, she doesn't really commit as much to that. Yes, I agree. And maybe that's part of what I didn't like, because I feel like by the end, Rachel becomes really strong. Like, the scene where she comes and tells Anna that it's time to leave, in my mind, she finally become assertive. She just comes and says, like, it's time to go. Yes. And Anna doesn't even really fight her. Like, Anna, by that point, is no longer really in denial. She's just like, yeah, my husband's a murderer. He's a bad guy. I'm going to have to leave at some point. I also like how she couldn't hack his email. Like, that. Yeah. that kind of struck a chord with me. It was like... Oh, like your wife who actually knew you, even though the gaslighting and whatever and all the sabotage she was doing on her on Emily Blunt's character, she actually knew him well enough to know how to hack his email. Mm-hmm. Whereas the new wife couldn't, like, had no idea how to hack his email, was completely lost. Like I like, I like that. Just, just for me, I enjoyed that. <laughs> yes, I mean that was good, and it really shows you that the Rebecca Ferguson character, you know, was quite arrogant and I think thought she'd never have to do something like hack the email so she wasn't paying attention or she, like, she, Blunt, she never thought she'd be the other woman right and I, I think that would have been more fun to develop I feel it's true although like I just think it's funny the hubris of this other woman character who doesn't it doesn't occur to her like if he cheats with you he'll cheat on you yeah like that's like not in her vocabulary at all no and also like their sex like doesn't seem to be pretty exuberant no so you would think that like even from that she would possibly be suspicious but anyway like i wonder if it's like worth seeing again but i don't know i feel i feel strongly that we feel the exact same way about it the girl who plays megan okay can't act and i know they just cast her because she sort of looks like jennifer lawrence and they clearly like wanted jennifer lawrence for that role and obviously couldn't get her like because why would she do that role and I'm like, stop casting, like, off-brand Jennifer Lawrence. She can't act. Yeah, I was really surprised about that. She's sw- terrible casting. Well, it's supposed to be this aspirational woman. Yeah. And nothing in her, like, she was so miserable. And, like, I guess, like, that's fine. Like, the character is so miserable. But she's looking to run away from her perfect life. Like, nothing, she just looked like she didn't want to be physical with her husband. That's all That's all it looked like. She was, like, so, like, despondent. You know who I would have cast in that? And this is so weird for me, but I actually think I would have cast her is Blake Lively. Oh, she would have been great. Yeah, I think that she would have been good for that role. Well, did you see Cafe Society? No, I haven't. She's so good in Cafe Society, because in Cafe Society, her job is literally to play a pretty woman. Mm-hmm. And it was good. Whatever, I mean, I'm a, I'm a little bit all in on Blake, having seen The Shallows and committed so much of our summer to The Shallows, but I think that would have been really good casting. I feel like she was probably, like, filming The Shallows at the time. Probably, and you know what, I, like, fair enough, maybe she would have been atrocious in it too, but, like, she's not a worse actress than off-brand Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. So... Poor Haley, poor Haley Bennett. She's like a sweet, very sweet girl. Like I follow her on Instagram and like she's pretty good in interviews and stuff. But she just like, I don't know, keeps getting these parts that don't seem to be the, be- the best fit for her. Yeah, that was not the best fit for her. Uh, yeah, I was not impressed. Anyway, we should probably move on yes. to our next topic of conversation. So yes. you saw Divorce. I, saw- I haven't seen it yet. Yes. It was a great pilot in the sense that it has a very strong point of view. And I okay. like I like that. Like very, very strong. It's like 
Sarah Parker is like woefully unhappy, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of flips the divorce thing a bit. Because you always think that, or it's a common trope that the men are the people who step out. Yeah. Or the men have the affairs first. And, like, obviously, the, like, we know that that's not true. And, you know, there's been representations of that in pop culture before. But the show, the pilot especially, kind of plays off that a bit. She's miserable and she's unhappy. She can't really figure out why she's miserable and she's unhappy. Like, she doesn't have the words for it. Mm-hmm. And then this crisis happens. She and Thomas Hayden Church, who's perfectly cast in this, by the way. Finally, like, a role worthy of him after Sideways. I love Thomas Hayden Church. Like, yeah. I find him very attractive, too. He's so attractive. Well, I think he's very hot and sideways. Yeah. Not hot, like, necessarily physically, but just, like, the confidence he has, like, with, with uh, Christina, you know, with Sandra Oh, is just amazing. Thomas Hayden Church is, like, super doting, and but he's just, like, a boring guy, right? It's like, so, yeah. And it's like, so what happens if, like, you're with somebody for, it seems to be, like, over 20 years, mm-hmm. and then your partner's just not interesting anymore? Like, are you still... And basically... She's living in a world where she's not interested in what he has to say. She doesn't want him touching her. She doesn't, you know, like, there's all those different... Mm-hmm. She's kind of going through the motions. They're just in a rut. But he mm-hmm. refuses to believe they're in a rut. And he's like, let me make things better. Like, let me, like, pleasure you. Let me... You know what I mean? He's trying to do all these grand gestures. And she's like, no, you're not, like, changing your, like, chemistry, basically. You know? Like, you're not changing who you are. Like, I'm unhappy. I'm unhappy. And... Mm-hmm. But she doesn't really know how to express that until she goes to a party with for Molly Shannon, or Molly mm-hmm. Shannon's character, and it's like a big birthday for her. Mm-hmm. And she's married to Tracy Letts, and, which is great. Like, that's amazing casting. And mm-hmm. she's childless. And mm-hmm. in his speech, his speech was, like, really rude, basically saying, like, you know, she looks so great because she never had kids, because she never wanted kids. Like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like a lot of digs on her. Oh, and it's very interesting, like, very cringeworthy, like, dinner scene. Mm-hmm. And it's all in front of, like, other couples who've been together for the same amount of time. So mm-hmm. everyone can kind of, like, relate to the cringe, but it goes, it's, like, a little too personal. Mm-hmm. And then she, Molly Shannon, like, reacts by getting very drunk and pulling a gun on him. <laughs> and he has a heart attack, and she, she almost fires the gun at Thomas Hayden Church's character. Whatever. You're supposed to just accept it as a plot device. Okay. And then... She aims the gun at Thomas Hayden Church at one point, mm-hmm. and Sarah Jessica Parker, like, felt nothing, basically. So, like, that's kind of when it was, like, oh, shit. Like, that was, like, her oh, shit moment, like, her aha moment. Oh, that's when she's, like, well, I don't love this person because my friend can randomly shoot him and it's fine. Yeah, or, like, attempt to shoot him and and uh, and, and I feel okay. Or I feel no, I feel no remorse. Um, and then... You find out that she's been having an affair, so, but you don't really know for how long, and, like, that her kids, like... Her kids are teenagers, right? So her kids are, like, alternate between being despondent and being rude and then being very loving and being, like, teens, you know? Mm. So it's really just, like, she's the one having a crisis. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So anyway, so it's, so it's like, in that sense, and then, the, and then the ending of the pilot was awesome because she kind of gets, like, lost in her own mess and then, like, gets to taste her own medicine kind of thing. It's just, like, the ending is awesome. Like, the, it's worth watching the pilot alone just for how great the ending is. But it was just very... Different, and I feel like the ratings for divorce are going to be so good because people are like, expecting Sex in the City too, and they're expecting glamour. And like, while Sarah Jessica Parker does look good, she looks like she's like in a Land's End catalog, you know? Yeah, it's like I like the aesthetic of the show. From the trailer, it looks like very real is well to do, but like the people on Sex in the City, like no one dresses like that unless you are like 
a billionaire, right? Like, so I like the Yeah, unless you're like Ivanka Trump. And even then, you would never wear some of those outfits. Exactly. But it seems like they're styling her in things like Donna Karen coats and, you know, stuff like that. Like, you know, it looks like she shops at, like, like, it looks like she shops at Saks, but not in the, like, Gucci, Armani, Chanel section. Yeah, but she's, like, regularly hitting up, you know, some of the more ready-to-wear kind of stuff, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like she's, like, wearing Max Mara Weekend. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, they've done a good job making it more <laughs> realistic, like, you know? Because they're supposed to be well-to-do, right? Yeah. Yeah, she looks like, that's how, I mean, I know a lot of women in that situation, like, well-to-do sort of women around 50 who have children, and that's how they dress. So I feel like the costume department did a good job. Yeah, and it's good. The pilot really sold it as being more of, like, a -a laugh-a-minute kind of show. Mm Mm-hmm, it did. But, like, so, like, the pilot has this joke in it where Thomas Hayden Church is like, where did this all go wrong? She's like, probably when you grew that mustache or whatever. And then yeah. in, the, in the trailer, it's meant to seem, like, very, very funny. But, like, in the actual show, like, it's not. Like, there's no, it stings him, you know? It's mean. Like, that's just a mean thing to say to someone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so she looks great. It was just a very interesting pilot. Like, it's very, like, I wouldn't say I love divorce, but it really has a point of view. And, like, that's what made me interested in watching it. I think the Brangelina divorce is really good advertising for it. Oh my god, it's such good advertising. Like, there's no better advertising, honestly. Like, I'm now more excited about watching the show divorce because of the Brangelina divorce. Well, it's, well and I don't want to spoil how good the ending is, but it's great. <laughs> just, like, if you watch it and you see what the ending is, it's just, it's so good. Well, I can't wait. I would have watched it last night, <clears throat> except... I was watching the debate, and then it was late, and I have to work today, and I was all like, all right, fine, I should do the responsible thing and go to sleep, but, like, I'm now regretting that. We should note it's Canadian Thanksgiving, and and so yesterday was, like, a perfect storm of TV. It was. Like, there is the presidential de- town hall debate, which is always the best debate. It is. Also it is. because of people like Ken Bone, who steal the show. You know, there's that. There's a, the Jays game. When the Jays won, it was just, like, phenomenal, and... There was apparently football happening. Nobody cares about football. And then all these, like, great HBO shows are launching. So Insecure launched last night, even though it's been online for a couple weeks. Divorce launched last night. It was episode two of Westworld. Like, it was just a lot lot of TV to watch. A lot of things were happening, and it was stressful. Like, it was very stressful to manage all those things, especially on what's supposed to be a holiday weekend in Canada, because technically I'm supposed to be off today, but I have to go to work anyway because... You know, hashtag millennial. Yeah, so, very hashtag millennial. Yeah. So it was just Why have stressful. one job when you can have 50? Exactly, exactly. Why have one when you can have 50? Like, the other day, I was talking to a woman, an older woman, who was like, you know what, you have too many jobs. You need to relax. You need to do something just for fun. And I was like, WTF? Like, why wouldn't, if I like something, why wouldn't I make it a job? That's and then what? I was like, and then I mentioned it to, like, a friend of mine at work. And I was like, dude, this is the advice some, like, boomer just gave me, like, that I need to, like, have fun and, like, not, like, just have a hobby and not make it a job. And he was like, WTF? Like, why wouldn't you just make your hobby your job as well? So, basically, every millennial I've told this to thinks it's funny. I actually had the same WTF reaction, so (laughs) it is very funny. Yeah, it's like, why wouldn't you just make it a side hustle if you like it? I think it's hard for the boomers to understand that we don't have work-life balance. That, like, if we're going to be up, 
we might as well be working. And yes. It's not, it's not that it can't be fun. Right. Yes, exactly. That's the difference. Do you feel like you have a lot to catch up on because of this weekend, TV-wise? Yeah, well, I haven't watched Westworld yet. So Neither have I. Oh, I thought I was the only one. That makes me feel better. No, because I because of the Jewish holidays last week, I just, like, it was the one thing that got lost in the shuffle. And then I also missed Designated Survivor last week. There were a couple shows that, like, I missed, like, last week in general. Like, and it's, like, a bit of PV, it's a PVR-heavy week for me. It, me too. Designated Survivor, I will say one thing about it. I'm worried it has misogynistic undertones. Because See? nobody listens to Italia Ricci, or... <laughs> because, like, the female characters are just troublesome women, is sort of how they're presented, other than his wife, primarily concerned with her family. And I'm not even offended by that representation because literally the capital is supposed to have blown up three days before and now, like, her children are the first children and I'd probably be pretty concerned that they were targets too. Like, even if I had a career, I'd probably be like, I don't even know if I still have a job. Like, our economy is in crisis. Like, mm-hmm. focus on my family. So that doesn't offend me. But what offends me is he has these two female characters who are pretty strong. Like, the woman who's his former chief of staff who he's bringing with him the White House, but he doesn't make his chief of staff. He makes this other evil guy his chief of staff. And his whole justification is, he's evil, therefore I respect him and he'll be better at it. But then, in a massive contradiction, there's this Republican congresswoman who survives, who's stealthy like the dude he hires to be his chief of staff, and he hates her and vilifies her for being stealthy. So I'm like, okay, so only men get to be stealthy, and when women are ambitious or strategic... They're, like, awful. So I don't know if the show is going to deconstruct that at that at some point. If the show is so clever, it's, he's going to have a moment where he's forced to become aware of his, like, misogynistic biases. Kind of like, remember on The Good Wife where, like, Peter Florick has, like, this racial bias and they force him to confront it at one point? Right. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. Well, it's just, like, so much performance anxiety, right? He's, like, what I liked about the first... I think I've seen the first episode twice now. And what I liked so much about it was that Cal Penn wrote him this perfect speech in, like, no time. And he apparently, by all accounts, delivered it objectively very well. But it's just because this huge crisis just happened... Yeah. ...that nobody's taking him seriously, nobody's taking the event seriously. It's just, like, it doesn't matter. Like, it still feels too soon. And so he feels like he needs to be... Like, to step up and, like, be the president and whatever. And maybe part of that is, like, discrediting women. And maybe, you know, like, that's, like, part of what he hopefully will confront at some point. But, like, at least all the women, like, Virginia Madsen, Italia Ricci, who plays his former chief of staff, who's Canadian and also went to Queens. Um, Yep. Um, You know, the thing that they all have in common is that they're very scrappy and they kind of, like, don't care. Right, like they, yeah. like, like, like they don't take his disapproval or his um, attempts at stopping their advancement to, to stop what they want to do or to, to halt them in their tracks, I guess. So at least there's that. Yes, I would agree <laughs> with that assessment of the show. It's, it's still watchable. It's still eminently watchable. And fun. It's really fun. Yeah, it is fun, and it's still, like, an exploration. I was talking about this at Thanksgiving with my family. I was trying to give them the elevator pitch, and I was like... You know how every year when you watch the State of the Union and you see that picture of the designated survivor, you think, what would happen if, like, the whole building blew up and that person had to be president? And my family were like, no, we don't think that. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I guess I'm just, like, a really morbid person 
who has all of these disturbing thoughts. I was like, I thought that was a universal thing that everyone contemplated annually. Or at least, okay, maybe if it doesn't even go that far, maybe it'd be like, what's that? You know, like, or <laughs> what's their job? Because that's also, like, it's not like you're morbid, because that's literally their job description. I know, I know. So it's like everyone, <laughs> I thought everyone had that, you know, had that thought because their job is just to survive. Well, not only that, but, like, that's literally the gig. It's like, you're here in case anything terrible happens and we all die. Like, all of our hope is in you. But we don't really care who it is, but it's in you. Yeah, well, you know what? I think they should pick better. Is what I'm, From watching the show, yes. I'm like, you know what? Pick some, like, just have the vice president not attend. That actually makes more sense to me. Like, the vice president doesn't need to be at the State of the Union. Just have the vice president go off to a bunker somewhere. I love it. I think they I think they often do, but maybe not for the state of the maybe they need to be more united. I don't know who cares. But like who cares in terms of the present presentation point of view? Like, ugh, enough. But no, because John Favreau said that on The Watch, didn't he? That oh yeah, the Destiny Survivor, like nobody cares about them. Like no like it's normally typically random. Yeah, but now that's causing me a lot of stress because I'm watching this show, so I'm thinking about this doomsday scenario more and more, and I'm like, pick better guys pick better yep. like i if they pick the minister of fisheries again this year i'm not going to be able to like breathe until the state of the union's over and everyone lives yep like hillary pick better this is like one thing i want from hillary when she's president give it to like the secretary of state or someone who freaking matters Actually, Secretary of State makes sense because there's going to be a lot of diplomacy and like, and they're pretty they're pretty removed anyway. Yeah, exactly. And if all this goes down, you're going to need a Secretary of State type person to be in charge. This is how I feel. But we should move on to another major conflict, not just a hypothetical conflict caused by a massive act of terrorism (laughs) on a show, but the Brangelina divorce, which is gossip apocalypse. Gossip apocalypse and. Let's not forget that Brad Pitt has a major movie coming out in basically less than six weeks. Allied. Allied. Which, Allied got a new trailer that aired before Girl on the Train, which made me really want to see Allied. Uh, And they're playing up the marital conflict aspect. I think it's intentional. Like, there's no way that he can do press for this. No, because the questions will all be like, so how do you relate to the story about not being able to trust your wife? Yeah. It's like, so the character in in this story, again, your character, doesn't trust her wife because of her career ambitions. Can we, uh, like, like there's no spin. And even though she's the mother of your child, you hurt her. (laughs) Yes. And why can she not be trusted? Tell us more about your wife's motives in your character. I mean, your character's wife. I know. I know. It's... So I, having seen the trailer, I don't believe he and Marianne Cotillard had a fa- an affair. Like no. I don't believe. I don't believe like, like there. It looks like it's like a it's like play fighting. It doesn't yeah. look like real sensual energy. It looks like they're just two spies who like the Americans, but they're not in love on the Americans. Yeah, they don't have great chemistry. I don't believe they had an affair. I I, I also believe- love Guillaume Canet. So like, you know, justice for Guillaume. Marianne also doesn't want, like, that is just too much. It doesn't matter if you think Brad is attractive or not, but, like, he has six kids. If you break up his marriage and end up with him, that is a shit ton of stuff to deal with. That's so much baggage. 
Yeah, it's a lot of kids. I think she's smart enough to be like, you know what, there are other hot people I can have an affair with if I want to have an affair. Even though who would want to have an affair with Guillaume Canet? I mean, not that that ever changed anything, but... I think she has, I think she has a great husband. I, like, don't think she needs to, like, go cheat on him. But, like, even if she were to, like, cheat on some, cheat with somebody where, like, the aftermath would be simpler. Yes, that's a very good way to put it. I like that, simple aftermath. But, so anyway, so this movie's coming out in six weeks. They were planning, I'm sure, on having a really big rollout for it. It's a Paramount movie. Paramount doesn't really have a lot of movies that are in the Oscar conversation this year. They have this. They have Arrival and I believe Fences as well, but I could be wrong about that. And I believe they also have Silence, which is the Martin Scorsese Jesuit priest movie that's like long gestating. It's like Andrew Garfield and Liam Neeson and... That's yes. apparently why Liam Neeson looks so gaunt, is because he was playing this priest in this Scorsese movie that took like 25 years to make. That's apparently what the story is. So, Paramount not necessarily needs this to be a hit, but they obviously had some awards hopes for it. Like, it's directed by Robert Zemeckis, which is an interesting choice. And in the trailer, they're, like, from the director of Flight and Contact. <laughs> like, they're, like, I giving know. you, like, the full resume. Like, how often does that happen? Normally, they just say, like, from, like, Steven Spielberg. But I guess, like, in Zemeckis' case, he's well-known enough and has enough diversity that they kind of wanted to highlight more of his diversity. Like, but they... I've never seen a trailer where they've mentioned three movies before. The trailer is thirsty. It's yeah. like they're like, we want to win Oscars. We don't think we deserve them, so we're going to be thirsty and throw all of our credentials at you. Yeah, and it's like, this is also like a really fun box office play. It's like also like obviously a theme and like an undertone to this trailer. I don't know. And and so Brad doesn't really... the thing. Okay, so here's the thing, is that people are like, oh, he probably won't do interviews. But Brad and Angelina very rarely do interviews and when they did they would do it together so they did like they would do like one sit down with the today show then they would do like one primetime show and it was very limited they would do more like in print and press but it was two like marquee people like vogue or vanity fair or w or the hollywood reporter or variety you know like it was very much or or like some kind of people bullshit story yeah it was very much controlled and contrived and it's not like like, Julia Roberts will still do a talk show, right? Like, Julia Roberts will still go on GMA, Good Morning America, and yeah. Today to sell a movie, right? So it's, like, a different tier of stardom that they've negotiated for themselves in that they're either everywhere or they're nowhere, and that it's, it's always exclusive and selective. So I feel like that's part of Brad's strategy in general. So, like, if you're not going to see Brad Pitt on the Today Show, you're not going to see Brad Pitt on the Today Show, you know? And he probably, like, it's like, it's it's not like um, you're missing out, you know? If that makes sense. Like, Leo also is very cagey, but Leo, yeah. in terms of press personalities, in terms of the media, but he'll still sit down with the morning shows. He'll do Ellen, and it's, like, very cringeworthy because yeah. he, he has nothing to do with the Ellen brand. No. But oh, he's no. trying to use it as leverage. And I just don't think there's anything for Brad really to say if they're still going to be having this custody battle, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, I mean, I... And especially if Marianne Cotillard is, like, she's allegedly, like, seven or eight months pregnant. She probably can't travel. So, like, how the hell are they going to promote this movie? It's going to be hard. And the thing is, the movie, it's like... I want to know what the pitch was. It's like the English patient, but evil. Like, more sinister. Totally. 
Like, because it kind of feels like the English patient meets Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Like, actually, that's what it feels like. That's exactly what it feels like. Yeah. And so I, because the first part, it's like having sex in the desert. It's very sensual. It's like so English patient. And then it's like, and now you have to kill your wife. Yeah, just kidding. You have three days to kill your wife for no reason. Yeah, for no reason, because we suspect she's a spy and like no reason. And a German I, I, spy, no less. Not just a spy, a German spy. And how does this movie get resolved? Like, I I don't think that there's any resolution that's satisfactory. Because it's a happy, happy ending. I'm like, then it hasn't earned the drama. That's kind of bullshit. But then if he kills her, I'm just going to be so disturbed. I guess the only way it can end is he dies and she lives. Right. Like, he dies saving her is the only way it can really end. Right. Yeah, some kind of like Romeo, Romeo and Juliet-esque kind of moment. Yeah, and she like escapes with the kid and he dies. Huh. Yeah. I think she is a German spy, though. I decided she is. I decided she is, too. They but made I decided it. decided she's like. Because he turned. He he went from. At least in the trailer. Again, we're. Let's keep. Let's put this in perspective here. We're judging a lot of this movie based on this very not vague trailer that was premiering yeah. before The Girl on the Train. And yeah. so a lot of our suspicions and a lot of our analysis and whatever, like, no one's seen this movie yet. Like, we're, like, yeah. we're pretty cool. We're pretty cutting edge. Like, we, you know, we hit up TIFF. We hit up other film festivals. I was at New York Film Festival this weekend, etc. But this movie has not screened anywhere, at least to, even to the press, in a wide, wide stream capacity. So yeah. we are judging this strictly based on, like, this one glimpse that we've had about these characters. Just speculation. We it's, have no evidence. No evidence. What's well, It's strictly speculation. But like in the trailer, like he's like, "What? Can't, my wife? No way!" And then he comes home, and it's like immediately suspicious. I know, I know, I know. It's like he doesn't really trust her for long. That's what I didn't like about it. He's all like, "No way!" And then he comes home, and it's like, "No, she's totally spy." <laughs> like, why would she pour me this drink? Does she really love our child? Like all of these like things. It's like, what is happening? Like, like how? Like. Okay. Like, is that the wartime attitude where you just trust your boss and, like, don't know... Not that you don't trust your boss in life now, but, like, I don't know. Like, you just take it at face value and that's it? I know, he's such a dick. I was like, really? You're not going to extend the denial for a few more hours? Like, immediately, you're, you're like, no, 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 I get it. She's a spy. I just don't want to kill her. And, like, that yeah. it kind of becomes it. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. So, no. exactly. It becomes, what is this movie? Exactly. I think she's a German spy, but what I think it is, is that she was somehow forced into it. Like, it, it was coercive, and, like, probably she thought the Nazis were going to kill her after the war was over anyway, because she has that line, when the war is over, it won't matter where I am. Right. Probably she did it in a weird Sophie's Choice type way, like, to get her family free or something, and then she knows they're going to kill her at the end. Like, I predict they're going to take the easy way out and make her like a sacrificial spy so it's like oh she was a spy but like she was a victim lame yeah i but i think that that's what they're gonna do yeah so he wasn't wrong to love her and like she really didn't want to be a nazi i mean wow what a world (laughs) you know i i just am very interested to see how the divorce a shapes the narrative of the show divorce and also (laughs) how it shapes the promotional tour for this movie and how this movie does like, is there an appetite for this mm-hmm. movie? And it's interesting that every time he's about to end a marriage, he, it's almost like psychically, the year before, makes a movie about killing your wife. Yes. This has happened twice now. It's a pattern. Right. Like, in Glorious Bastards, there's no wife. 
No, no. Most of his movies are not about how sometimes you just want to kill your wife. Yeah, Fury, well, no wife. No, but Mr. and Mrs. Smith was about that. It's about no, sometimes but, you just want to kill your wife and this one, too. Yeah, and I'm thinking, like, those two movies, like Fury and, and Inglourious Bastards, are incredibly violent movies or set during wartime, like, literally. Like, basically the same backdrop and... Or not the same backdrop, but similar eras and none of the same motives. It, I didn't really actually, in a sense, realize how one-note Brad Pitt was in that sense until right now. You know, um, at the Emmys a couple years ago, and they made a joke about the Pacific and Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg, and about how Tom Hanks is going to run out of wars soon? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I feel like that almost applies to Brad Pitt in this sense. Oh, he's really mining World War II for all it's worth. Yeah, I think Tom Hanks, to be fair, I think has range. I think he likes war movies because that's an interest of his. Oh, he's obviously, Tom Hanks is obviously a historian. Yeah, but he does other things and he's good and he excels in other things. He has range, right? He was in You've Got Mail. The man has range, okay? You've Got Mail is amazing. And like, yeah, like Tom Hanks like loves history. Like he, like the first thing he ever really produced or one of the biggest things he first, first ever produced was From the Earth to the Moon, right? Like he loves like that element of history. And all history too, because he directed that thing you do. So he was interested in you know, the music and wrote the it too. and wrote it. He yeah. wrote, he wrote most of the music. Like that thing you do, first of all, happy 20th anniversary of that thing you do. Happy 20th. But like that movie is so criminally underrated, not underrated, undervalued, I feel. But anyway, yes, it's Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks has rape. It is. Oh yeah. He's, he's great. Brad Pitt is nowhere near as talented. No. But, I mean, like, Tom Hanks has a lot of Oscars and Brad Pitt has none. So Yes. Although I love weird Brad Pitt. Like, I love, like, 12 Monkeys Brad Pitt. And I love, like, against type babble Brad Pitt. You know, like, that's, like, that's that's my Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt was also good in Burn After Reading. He, oh, I love Brad Pitt in Burn After Reading. So he can be good, but when he's trying to be the epic hero, like, in this Allied movie, I don't know. It's just, he overacts. Like, the scene where he kicks the chair. Yes. I'm like, <laughs> he doesn't make me believe it. Especially because then he goes home and is just like, yeah, my wife's a Nazi. Yep. We'll see. Like, like, do you think he'll give an interview at all? I don't see how he can get around it. Like, and he is contractually obligated. Yes. But he's contractually obligated while still being Brad Pitt while he's negotiating, right? So it's like less, he'll have less obligations to do. It's just a matter of like, will he even do them? He'll probably sit down with like, Diane Sawyer or someone like that. Like, I don't know. I feel like he will do press, but it will be heavily vetted. Like, there will be a long list of questions you're not allowed to ask him about, and then Diane will have to, like, try kind of, like, get it in by being like, so is the theme of this movie the demise of a marriage? (laughs) And then he'll be like, yes, and just won't give you anything compelling. But anyway, the time has come, the walrus said, for this millennial to go back Work, that's right yet another job that's right <laughs> so i guess like have a good week guys have a great week and we'll be back next week with with more and then so also next week kim's convenience finally premieres so we can talk about yeah. that next week it does we can. we can talk about that next week because kim's convenience of course you know was supposed to premiere last week but then the jays happened so here we are yeah exactly and we'll be back next week with more all right have a good week guys have a great week